Well, welcome everyone to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. And if you're coming in on the uh, Zoom app, please use your question, uh, your your chat box or the Q and A box to give us some of your questions and comments. Uh, today we're broadcasting on uh, Chase Byers Facebook page. Um, I'm going to just bring you in right now. Chase is uh, guest panelist today. Hi, Chase. How are you doing? Hey, how's it going, guys? Normally, I'm on the Wednesday edition, but it's good to be with you guys on the Tuesday edition today. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we're, we threw everything at you, too, didn't we, on the technical side of coming in. Je uh, Chase is with us today because Jeff is away this week, so we thought we'd invite Chase in to come in on the... Chase, we're still doing the Wednesday one tomorrow, though, right, even though Jeff, Jeff is out of town? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, me and Joe will be on, and I think we'll have you on as well, Drew. So the okay, three of us great. will tackle tomorrow's, and that'll be on my Facebook page as well. Good, good. We also have uh, program director, Scott. How are you doing, Scott? Doing well, Drew. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Scott is in the Gettysburg area uh, with the church that meets in Gettysburg. Oh, Chase, you're in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, that's right. All right. And also from Gettysburg is Jonathan Sadler. Hi, Jonathan. Good to see you today. Hey, good to see you guys today. All right. So um, I just want to re- um, repeat myself that we really would like everyone to dig in deep into the brains and come up with some thoughts and questions we want we're, we want anyone from our audience today to give us some questions or comments about any topic it doesn't have to be anything that we talk about or have talked about in fact what we're going to do is give you a few minutes think about anything you might want to ask the panelists uh, today um, if you're coming in on the Facebook page, keep in mind that the Facebook has a delay of about, I don't know, 15 seconds or so, but that shouldn't stop you. Just give us a, a, your comments, text like texting it in the comment box. If you come in through the app, um, the Zoom app, which you come in through BibleQuest.tv, there's no delay, that's live. Well, while we're waiting, and I, I, I would like some questions coming in from anybody in the audience, but while we're waiting, I had a verse in my mind uh, that I just wanted to shout out at you. But before I do that, Scott, do you have a verse in your mind that you want to just share? Yeah, I'll just throw out a quick good verse uh, today here, and we can get several here at the top while we're waiting on questions. I, I'll recommend Philippians 4, verse 8. Says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on these things. If we spend our time and our days thinking about being anxious, uh, looking for the worst in people, focusing on the negative, we're going to be pretty negative-minded people. If we focus on good things, we're going to be positive and more productive-minded people. Drew, what verse do you have on your mind today? On your what you just talked about, though, it's a choice. We can actually choose to think those things. Yeah, it, it says, Paul's instructing them, think on these things. And it's really, right after this, he said, the things that you both learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things you do. He's asking them to do what he's done. Because he's in prison. He's a prisoner. He's got people stabbing him in the back. He's maybe going to be executed. He's got all sorts of problems. And you look back at chapter one, and he's looking at what's positive. Hey, the guards are hearing about Christ. Hey, other people are being more bold to preach. Hey, if they kill me, I get to go be with the Lord. He's choosing to think on what's eternal and what matters and what's good. And he's telling them to do the same thing. 
And so in, in the same uh, good segue to my verse, I wanted to uh, just mention First uh, Peter 3, 15, because it also has to do with the intellect, the mind, the thinking. He says, uh, Peter says, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so the, the word there that pops out at me is the word reason. It's, yeah. a, it's an intellectual process. It's not a blind faith. It's, it's reason. And the reason comes because there are there's evidences and, and facts about Jesus Christ, about his resurrection, that have to deal uh, from, from ed with using evidences that you can deal with and reason with other people to consider and look at these things. This is why I have the hope in me. It's on a blind faith. It's, it's, it deals with reason. Not that there's not emotions. There is emotions. But there needs to be a reason. There needs to be a reason or else the emotions are, are flat. So Jonathan, what about you? Do you have a verse you want to shout out? What we're, what we're doing here is we're waiting for people to give us some questions. We'd like to have some questions coming in from the audience. So we're just uh, talking, not on the topic today, but just about the verse. So Jonathan, what do you have? Uh, yeah, one particular verse that, uh, that I have on my mind is uh, Ezra chapter 7 uh, and verse 10. Uh, I really, really like this verse uh, describing Ezra. Uh, Ezra is uh, one of the men who came back who was instrumental in helping rebuild the city of Jerusalem after Israel was taken into captivity, or the city of Jerusalem. Uh, in Ezra 7, verse 10, it says, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. And I really like that, the, the phrase, uh, the, the three parts that Ezra took part in. He, he studied the law of the Lord, he did it, and he taught it. And you see kind of the inverse of that in various different parts of the Bible. Um, you need all three, and people of God need all three of those, to study, to know God's will, to do it themselves, and to teach it. And so if you take any of those out, um, there's problems. So I think like in uh, Matthew 23, when Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, uh, one of the things that he says in Matthew 23 uh, is, you can listen to what they teach, but don't do what they do. So they, they, they were teaching, but they weren't doing, and that was looked down on. Uh, by Jesus, or uh, if you're just doing God's will. I uh, think about 1 Corinthians 13 uh, in the first part of that chapter, where uh, if, you, if you do all of these great things, uh, but you don't have love, and you're not following that one basic principle of love, it's nothing um, to you. Or just knowing God's word. I uh, think about Acts 26, when Paul is talking to Agrippa, and uh, he says at the end of his, of his conversation with Agrippa, you know, I know that you know the prophets. I know that you believe. Um, but you have Agrippa kind of not following through on his belief at the end of that chapter. So I really like that statement about Ezra and Ezra seven ten that he he studied God's will. He knew he knew the word of God. He did it, and he taught it. And we need all three of those uh, in our lives as well. Uh, Chase, what about you? What verse you got on your mind? Yeah, and uh, if we don't give any questions, this is this will bring us close to the passage we're going to be studying today in Matthew twenty. Uh, Jesus's two of his disciples, James and John, had asked if they can sit on Jesus's left and right in his kingdom. And uh, the other 10 apostles, they start to feel a little jealous and a little indignant that they had asked that. And I really like how Jesus answers this. Uh, he looks at them and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. 
Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, uh, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I mean, Jesus is nearing the end of his life here. He spent three years with these guys, and this is a lesson he has tried to get them to learn over and over and over again. And I, when I hear Jesus say this, I kind of feel the sense of urgency in his voice. He says, guys, you, you look out there and you see the Gentiles and the way they act. You guys can't have that in here. Right. God's disciples do not act this way. And he, I, I think you see the urgency behind Jesus. And so I, I see the urgency in Jesus' voice when he's seeing us uh, putting each other down and not creating opportunities to, to serve one another and, and jumping on opportunities to serve one another. And Jesus is kind of uh, mic drop, if you will, is I didn't even come here to be served. I'm the son of God and I didn't come here to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. So how much more so should you guys be willing to serve one another? So I think this is in the topic that we're about to talk about uh, the triumphal entrance and the cleansing of the temple. Jesus, he's not afraid to lay down the law and, and teach people what they need to know to be true disciples. And so, but Jesus led by example first. Um, and that's kind of how he ends his appeal to the apostles there. So that's Matthew 21, uh, 25 through 28. I just realized I didn't say what it was, but that's been on my mind. All right. Very good. And we're going to be in, uh, do we have any questions yet, Drew? If not, we'll go ahead and get to the triumphal entry. No, 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 we don't have any comments or questions yet, but anytime during the program, if anybody has a question, please. Yes, please do. And, and if you have a comment on what we're talking about, or if you have a question on something else, because uh, we can always get back to what we're going to talk about later, we'd like to get to your questions if you have any. All right, so in Matthew chapter 21, we have the triumphal entry. And before we start reading the text, let's set the stage a little bit. Um, that Jesus has been teaching for how many years? Roughly three. At this point, be three. Three years. Where has he done most of his teaching? Up in Galilee and around that area, or down in Jerusalem? Mostly up in Galilee. Right, right. We see in the Gospel of John various times that he comes down during the feast, but that's you know for the feast, and then he goes back and comes down to the feast, and then goes back. Most of these three years have been spent north of here. It's now after these three years are up and the Passover is coming up and people are wondering and thinking about, is he going to come? And one of the reasons is because the leaders want him arrested and stopped. And so we're going to take a look at a couple of things from the Gospel of John before we look at the triumphal entry within uh, Matthew uh, 21. So in the Gospel of John, for example, uh, Jesus had just recently healed, uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. What's the reaction of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem to this? Uh, they wanted to kill him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they not only want Jesus removed, they want Lazarus removed because this is all being a big problem for them. Uh, and so, for example, let's look in John chapter 11, verse 54. Jesus therefore walked no more openly, this is John eleven fifty four among the Jews, and went out into the country uh, in the wilderness. Verse 55, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Many went up to Jerusalem out of the country to, pass, to the Passover to purify themselves. They sought therefore for Jesus and spoke one with another as they stood in the temple. What do you think? 
You think he will not come to the feast? So they're expecting him to come, but they're wondering if he'll come because, somebody read verse 57 for us. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Yeah, so it's kind of like an APB out on Jesus. You know, it's, you know, we want this guy, and they want him arrested before he gets into the city. Why would that make things easier for them? They don't have to face the people, or people will be so confrontational with them. I think that's what they would prefer. But then Jesus comes in, and in what manner does he enter the city? Somebody just described it. Almost like a parade with the ticker tape parade attitude. He comes in like a king. Yeah. 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 Here in John 12, uh, a great multitude come to feast. They heard Jesus was coming. They took branches of palm trees, went forth to meet him. They cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And he comes riding in, and look at verse 18. Uh, the multitude went out to see him, and they'd heard about the raising of Lazarus. Read verse 19. Repeat the, the reference again of some people just coming in. What, John 12, what? verse 19. John, John 12, verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Yeah, they're frustrated. You know, it's like, we got to get this. If anybody knows where he is, tell us, tell us. We want to get this guy arrested. And people, you think he's going to come or not? You know, because the Pharisees, and then you've got the triumphal entry. And all these people, they're saying, it's the king of Israel. And he comes in with the triumphal entry. And, and the leaders are going, <laughs> this is not going good for them. Not, it's not going good at all for them. Yeah, it's, it's not going good. And this is why they're going to need Judas to show where Jesus is at night. Okay? Um, so with that background, let's go to Matthew chapter 21, and we'll start looking at uh, the account. Uh, so somebody read for us, just start in chapter 21 and read through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Then the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put out and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Okay. Now, I want us all to imagine, and our listeners out there in the audience, imagine you're there watching this. How exciting would this be? Very you're, exciting. Yeah, you're seeing Jesus, and you're seeing all these people excited about Jesus praising Jesus. 
really, really wonderful thing, powerful thing. Now, uh, but, Scott, they recognize that he's the son of David. They're looking at him as the Messiah, right? I mean, this is something yeah. that they've embraced. In fact, in John 12, it said that they said, the king of Israel. And of course, that's what the Jewish leaders, among other things, are worried about. You remember, they had said, if we leave him alone, you know, the Romans are going to come and take away our place in our nation. Why would they think that if they leave Jesus alone, the Romans are going to come take away their place in their nation? Could it, could, it, could it be because uh, the Romans would have thought Jesus is a king as well and squashed the Jewish movement altogether? Yes. And, well, they would have viewed this as a rebellion, not what Jesus did but what the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees are expecting. And let's go back to the question I was about to ask. You're there. You're watching this wonderful display of honor to Jesus of Nazareth. But if you then start talking to those people in the crowd and you say, why are you so excited? What's going to be some of their answers? Oh, he fed us a lot of food at one time and we want him to be king. Yeah, he's gonna, if you ask them, what kind of king is Jesus going to be? Does anybody, is anybody going to say, he's going to die for our sins? No. All of our sins are going to be laid on him. He'll rise from the dead, and we'll need to deny ourselves and follow him and be part of a spiritual kingdom that'll go out to all the Gentiles. Does anybody in this crowd understand that? No one had that concept at all. <laughs> this so, is, this but, is when Jerusalem, this is when the Jews are going to secede from Rome. They're going to get their kingdom back. They're going to, they've got their nation. It's coming now. Yeah. This is, we're going to have our king, our glorious king, like back in the days of David, our, David and Solomon. We're going to have the kingdom again. So if, then of course, that's not what Jesus is interested in offering. Uh, for instance, when Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says clearly what? My kingdom, My kingdom is. is not of this world. Yeah, John 18, 36. So that's not what Jesus is offering, but that's what the people are expecting. And of course, so his enemies know that people are expecting that, and they think if we don't stop him, they'll declare him king. And of course, what's Rome going to do if one of its troublesome province all, all of a sudden declares itself to have an independent sovereign king? Gone. Yeah. So the leaders use the, oh, we've got to do something. We need to kill this guy. Otherwise, the Romans are going to come take away our place in our nation. Ironically, <laughs> uh, Matthew 24, as penalty for killing him, what's going to happen in Acts in uh, 8070? To so the place in the nation. Yeah, that's right. So they're going to lose what they've got, but for a different reason than they got. All right. So they're frustrated. The crowd is excited. He gets into the city. Somebody read for us verse 12 through 17. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. How far did you say? Uh, through 17, please. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant 
and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, you have never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes. You have prepared praise for yourself. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. All right. Let's start there with verse 12, the cleansing of the temple. Uh, first off, let, let's set the stage historically. Um, what's going on here with the money changers What's and in, in the, uh, those that sold dubs? What's this all about? Well, people might get there and don't, they've traveled a long way, so they didn't want to carry a goat or anything with them. And so they've got a sacrifice to make. And so some of these local business and uh, farmers are like, well, here's a good opportunity to uh, make a little bit of money. So they would set up shop in the temple so that those who came uh, without their necessary uh, sacrifice could purchase a sacrifice. Yeah, this was actually... This was actually a this is actually a provision made in the law that God had for them that that if they uh, couldn't bring their own that they could buy a sacrifice or if they couldn't afford or anything like that yeah, yeah there was provision for for what they could give so in the earlier days of the tabernacle and in Solomon's temple if you lived in an agricultural community near the tabernacle or temple and you're a farmer, it would be pretty easy for you to, from your flock, you know, bring a, a sheep or, or, or a dove or something. But by the time of the first century, most Jews lived outside of Palestine. I mean, you, you look at Paul's missionary journey. Pretty much every time he gets to a city, fairly regularly, what's he find in that city? A synagogue. Yeah, yeah. So there's Jews all over the place. They would come back uh, once or more uh, during the year for uh, the various feasts. And like Chase said, you, you, you're not going to bring your livestock from Alexandria, especially if you're not a farmer. And so you get there, and so you need to buy something. Now, they're not selling it in the sanctuary. Right, so right, right, right. Place or holy places. It, it would have been out here beyond that wall that Gentiles couldn't go past. Uh, but they were, they were charging exorbitant rates. So we read about this in Josephus. Um, Gamaliel's son, when he was president of Sanhedrin, brought in some reforms to bring down the price of like sacrificial doves. Now, Josephus can exaggerate, so I'm not saying this is completely accurate. But he says in these reforms, the price of one dove went down from a ratio of 100 to 1. So to illustrate this, Stop and think of some time that you've been, say, at an amusement park and you wanted to get a hot dog and a drink. And what did you notice when you went up to the concession stand? Prices are about hot dog. <laughs> wow. And it, wow, but look at all the food you get. No, it's, it's you're being charged a very high price because they've got a monopoly. Right? So, uh, there's money going on here, and I think a lot of the money is ending up in the Sadducees' pockets. You know, there'd be commissions and stuff. Uh, the chief, Sadducees had the chief priesthood that ran the temple. So they're charging these exorbitant prices for, oh, here's pre-approved sacrifices. And they're charging these ridiculous prices. They're making all this money. I mean, if you could go from 100 to 1 in reducing the price back, it, it tells you how much people were being gouged. Go ahead, Drew. 
uh, I thought I read somewhere also that they were exchanging the money for the local money versus the money of yeah. the temple. Yeah. So they were profiting on interest on the, on the exchange of money as well. The, uh, when I first went to East Europe, there was always people coming up, change money, change money, change money, change money. Because uh, people from outside of Prague, you know, would need some Czechoslovakia uh, currency. Uh, of course, they were going to make some money in that. And actually, sometimes they were cheating you. They were trying to give you something that's worthless. Uh, but if you went to the bank, you had to pay a fee, you know, for that type of thing. And I think this had to do with the idea of not having the image of Caesar uh, on the coin in the temple. And so changing to like shekels and that type of denarius, that type of thing. But now to the case at hand, Jesus does what? Goes that, in and he flips over the gets tables. a little bit upset. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if when you watch a movie about Jesus, used to at least, a lot of the old movies about Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers. Or that, you know, blessed are, you know, he's, he's just very, very, and of course, Jesus, I'm sure, sometimes spoke very softly. But if you've got in your mind this, you know, European, blue-eyed, almost effeminate, long-haired... Gandalf? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Speaking. You know, uh, it doesn't fit real well <laughs> with this text. <laughs> He's going and throwing the tables over, uh, overthrowing them. And he said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of robbers. All right, verse 18. In the morning, as he returned to the city, he hungered. Seeing a big tree, by the way, he came to it, found nothing on it, only leaves. And what does he do? What does he say? He curses it by saying, may no fruit ever come from you again. Bam. And immediately the big tree withered away. Now, usually when Jesus did a miracle, it accomplished what type of things? The healing or a cleansing or some kind yeah. of thing like that. Yeah, somebody has a defect of some sort, uh, they're lacking something, and he makes it better. What do you do with the fig tree? He curses it. Yeah, it, and, and then it said immediately the fig tree withered away. When the disciples saw it, and from the Gospel of Mark, we find out they saw it the next day. When they saw it, they marveled, how did it immediately wither away? And he said, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and doubt not, you'll not only... Uh, do what was done to the big tree, but if you said that mountain be taken up and cast in the sea, it'll be done. Um, so, what was this about? Is Jesus mad at the fig tree, or does this something uh, relate to something bigger? Is there an, a theme throughout the New Testament of the need to bear fruit? All right, Scott. Jesus never did anything without teaching us something. What is he teaching us here? Come on. So well, in the beginning of the, about bearing fruit. In the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, when you've got John, and John is preparing for Jesus' ministry, uh, was that would that be chapter three of Matthew? Uh, and chapter three of Matthew, uh, when the Pharisees and Sadducees start in verse seven, they come out to John and to hear his preaching. And John says, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And then he says in verse eight of Matthew three, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you now, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. And then verse 10, even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. So 
Matthew and, and the other gospels that start with John preaching, wow. um, begin with that message. You need to, you need to bear some fruit or you're going to be cut down. Yeah. yeah. And if anybody yeah. heard him say that and thought, Oh, I need to go home and take care of my fig trees and make sure that they bear fruit so that John the Baptist won't come chop them down. They can <laughs> miss the point. The point is you people need to be very said bear fruit of repentance. Go ahead, Chase. I was going to say Jesus uses this analogy again in Matthew, a similar analogy in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, talking about uh, right. false prophets. And, uh, you know, they come in in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're like ravenous wolves. And he says in verse 17 of Matthew 7, so every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Now, no one is walking away from that going, oh, I've never thought of that before. You know, they, there's a purpose for what he's saying. Uh, he tells him in verse 20, you will know them by their fruits, the false prophets, that is. All right. What are some other New Testament passages about bearing fruit? Well, uh, you've got in John uh, 15, uh, Jesus is the vine. That's John 15, right? Yeah, yeah. John 15. And my father is the uh, husbandman. Yeah, so he's he's the the vine, and uh, if you abide in Jesus and bear fruit, then you're good. But any branch that does not bear fruit will be cut off and thrown in the fire. Right, right. Uh, and then remember in the Gospel of Luke, where he gave the parable about a guy had a big tree, and for three years it hasn't borne any fruit. He said, "Cut it down." And the guy that worked the the field said, "Well, let me let me fertilize it, try one more time, and if we can get it to bear fruit, great. If not, then yeah, we'll cut it down." And there's this, we need to bear fruit. And of course, like Galatians 5, you look at, here's the works of the flesh, but here's the fruit of the spirit. Now, Jesus has come to Jerusalem over and over and over over the years. Has it borne fruit? No. And that was, I was going to ask you that. Did you say that that parable was, that story was about the, the, the farmer said, wait three years. And was it a three-year time period that he talked about? No, it said, it said he, for three years, there had been no fruit, and the fellow said, let me give it one more year. So, so, well, that's my point. It's interesting he uses the term three years, Jesus, three years. Yeah. Now, since he says one more year, that would be four, so it doesn't exactly fit. No, it doesn't fit exactly. Yeah, he is there. Um, yeah, but the idea with Jerusalem. God wants you to bear fruit, but if you, like John the Baptist said, if you refuse to bear fruit, yeah, you're going to be cut down. Mm -hmm. All right, let's let's go to verse 23. Uh, do you suppose that, because let's remember who Jesus' opponents are. Who are Jesus' opponents? The Pharisees. Yeah, the Pharisees, and they are members of the Sanhedrin. Um, for example, Gamaliel, who is president of the Sanhedrin uh, at one point, and is a very respected uh, member of the Sanhedrin. He is a Pharisee. He's the Pharisee that trained young Saul of Tarsus. Um, and they are the fellows out in the synagogues. They're the ones with the broadened things on their clothing and the you know, bigger phylacteries. And they're, they're the religious big shots. They're the people who give the impression, we're the ones that know you need to listen to us. Who else are, what are the other opponents of Jesus? Uh, you've got, are you talking about the Sadducees? Yeah, the Sadducees. And we know from Acts 4 and 5 that the chief priest, is, the high priest, 
is of the party of the Sadducees and those people with him. So they've got control of the temple. And they don't agree with the Pharisees on everything. And you can see some of that in the Bible. Uh, the, the Sadducees don't believe in resurrection. They don't believe in angels. There, there's a lot of things they don't believe in. But they have, they have power. They're a little bit like Episcopalians. They've got hmm. money, they've got power. Yeah. They don't believe in as much as other people believe in a lot of times. But they've got this position. These are the guys, and the scribes, who are usually Pharisees, law, and these are the leaders who are against Jesus. Now, and since the scribes, since the Sadducees ran the temple, do you think they're happy with Jesus throwing over the tables of the money changers? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, call, I call that a rhetorical question, Scott. All right, all right, very good. So here they come, verse 23. Uh, somebody read verse 23 for us. And verse, yeah, read verse 23 and try to read it with the tone of voice that they might have said. Because I don't think this is a, a kind curiosity question. Uh, somebody read verse 23 for us. I don't know how good my voice will be, but uh, verse 23, and when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Yeah. You know, if, if I go down to the, 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 the uh, a university or a college or, or, or go into a Catholic church or something, and I start throwing things over, there's somebody going to approach me and say, you know, what do you think you're doing? So they've come up, and by the way they were dressed, I'm sure you could see, you know, who these big shots were. The chief priests and the elders, by what authority do you do these things? Who gave you this authority? Somebody read Jesus' answer. But keep in mind, before you read the answer, keep in mind, they just saw Jesus come in where the crowds were calling him king too, right? Yeah, <laughs> which is one reason why I think they need to challenge him instead of just straight up arresting him. You know, if, if Barabbas had come in and started doing this, the one, you've got the high priest and then you've got the chief priest. One of the chief priests was in charge of the treasury. Another of the chief priests was in charge of the temple police force. If Jesus didn't have the support of the people, you'd, I think they would have just arrested him. But the people are there, so they need to challenge him. You know, by what right, by what authority are you doing this? Somebody read verse 24 and the first half of 25, please. He says, also, uh, oh, go ahead, Drew. All right. Jesus answered, I will ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I'll also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they, dis they discussed it among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he's going to say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he all said right. to them, neither will I tell all you. Right. Oh, yeah. I went too far? Go ahead. All right. So their answer was, we, we don't, don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you're a politician, and these aren't just politicians, but they are very politically involved, the, the, the elders of the people, would they also have political position. Politicians, you know, it's it's a bit of an art form to not answer what you don't want to answer, of course. 
you know, if you watch a debate, you know, somebody asking my question, they don't want to answer that question. They go to their talking points and stuff, or, or it's no comment. Or when a politician gets caught, their memory suddenly becomes what? I don't recall. Yeah, I, I don't recall. I don't remember. It, so she's just asking a question, and they're stuck because, as they realize, if we say it was from heaven, then Jesus will say, "Why don't you listen to him?" <laughs> if they say, oh, "I'm just from men," then it problems with the crowd. Yes, because and we we need to realize how huge John the Baptist was in influence. These fellows are willing to challenge Jesus, but they're not willing to challenge the memory of John the Baptist. Uh, so many people had, had gone out and had uh, listened to John the Baptist. And so they say, we don't know. So of course, Jesus says, well, then I'm not going to answer your question. But then he asks another one, a simple parable. Verse 28. What do you think? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, Go work today in the vineyard. And we are in Matthew 21, verse 28. Um, and he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, what did he do? He regretted it and went. Yeah. But the other son, when he told him to go into the field, what did he say? I'll go. But what did he do? Oh, he didn't go, though. He didn't go. Yeah. So, simple question. Jesus said, which of these sons did the father's will and they rightly say the first thing <laughs> the one who said he wouldn't go but did it yeah so yeah the, the first one did jesus now says somebody read it from the esv truly he i says, say to you the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of god before you yikes yeah, imagine you're in the crowd. Jesus yesterday threw over the tables, cleansing the temple, and, and, and you know, said, you've made this a dinner robbers. The next day, here come the big shots. What, are you, what right do you have to do this? And we have this exchange back and forth, and he gives this little parable. Well, and now in front of everybody, he says, the prostitutes are going to go into the kingdom of heaven in front of you and instead of you. Why? What's the point? Keep reading. He says, John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe. So which, which one was parallel to the son that had been disobedient, but then regretted his behavior and corrected? Prostitutes and the tax collectors. Yeah, yeah. Sinners. Yeah, like you, you remember in Luke 7, the sinful woman that came and is weeping on Jesus' feet. It's not that she's been obeying God throughout her life, but she really regrets what she had been doing, and now she wants to follow Jesus. Who represents the son that claims to do the Father's will, but refuses to do it? The self-righteous Pharisees and Sadducees. Yeah. So. Um, they were already wanting to kill Jesus. But if that wasn't already the plan, I have a feeling that that would have become the plan <laughs> at this point. Uh, and their the confrontation just builds and builds over this week. And, and, and like he gives a parable here at the last part of the chapter of the, the vineyard. We, we 
coming up on time, so we won't read the whole thing, but just summing it up, you remember there's a guy, he has a vineyard, and he puts some people in charge of it. And he sends servants to go get the fruits. But each time he sends a servant, what do they do with his servants? Beat them up and kill them. Beat them, kill them. So finally, he sends his beloved son. And what do they do? They kill kill him. They kill him. Well, what's this fellow with the vineyard going to do? Well, he's going to come out and wipe out these miserable men and, and turn it over to somebody else that will bring in the fruits. And Jesus uh, says the kingdom will be taken away from you, verse 43, and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. Somebody read 45 and 46. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. Yeah. When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. So as you picture this, you got to picture all three things going on. Here's Jesus. Here's the big shots confronting him. Here's the, the people listening, of whom many believe in Jesus. And so they would love to arrest him, but they're afraid of the people. And each day, Jesus is coming in and teaching. And, and over 22 and 23, 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You know, And, and then he's going to say, your, your house is going to be left to you desolate and such. But they can't seize him there. So they're going to need, where do they need to seize him? In private. Secret place at yeah, night, yeah. late, dark. Yeah. Everybody knows where Jesus is during the day. Who would know where Jesus is at night? Only his closest friends, his disciples. Hence, hence we have the role of Judas. Judas. And when he comes, Peter, who doesn't understand everything yet either. Earlier we talked about the people you know, uh, in the triumphal entry, not understanding everything. When they come, Peter's going to pull out his sword because he's ready to do what? Defend Jesus to save him. And Jesus tells him to put it up, allows himself to be bound, taken away. And that's when Peter's faith stumbles because he he was ready to die on his terms of thinking he's going to defend King Jesus. But Jesus lets the bad guys win. And Peter doesn't understand, and other people don't understand. And then Jesus dies on the cross. And while the apostles were hiding, a couple of the leaders of Jews who secretly believed in him but hadn't stood up early enough on, they show up to take the body and bury it. And we have the disciples on the road to Emmaus saying, we thought it was he that would redeem Israel. Hey, Scott. Yeah. Jesus was extremely confrontational, totally not politically correct on any standard of that day. Does his message have that same approach? Is his, is his message today confrontational? Yeah. yeah, it is confrontational, but it's also a message of love. Um, look what Jesus is doing. He's not there to conquer them. He's not there to throw out the Romans. Acts 10 and 11 is going to be about the conversion of one of the Roman centurions. You know, he's not that he's there to die for the sins of everybody, but he is calling us to turn from our sin. And that is always going to be a confrontational thing. Yeah, because that, that becomes personal for me to think through this and realize, admit I'm guilty of something and I need to get 
or have forgiveness, that's personally confrontational, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Final thoughts. I think it's amazing that Matthew's gospel, kind of compared to the others, is really highlighting these run-ins that Jesus would have with the Pharisees. Um, and I think in a large part, it's because of who Matthew's audience was, being a predominantly Jewish audience, most likely. He is wanting them to realize that Jesus is serious about obeying his word, his law, um, and not relying on your own self-righteousness and your own ability to, uh, to make, your own, uh, make your own faith uh, be what saves you. John? All right, gentlemen, we ran out of time. Uh, okay. Very good discussion. Uh, thank you for uh, bringing that topic up, Scott. And uh, thank you for all of your input. Thank you for joining us, all of you in the audience. And don't forget, we'll see you again next week. that text today. Thanks, Chase. That's a great time. I'm sorry, I was interrupting you, Scott. Uh, Jeff, what were you saying? I mean, uh, Scott. Chase was the one that had um, thought of that topic today for us. So I like Oh, okay. Thing. I stand corrected. Thank you very much, Chase. Very good topic. Uh, you want to preview next Tuesdays? Yeah, you want to go. What are we going to be doing next Tuesdays? Because, Scott, you're not going to be here next Tuesday, right? I'll be in Illinois. Right, so it's going to be Jonathan, Chase, and myself again, but what are we doing next Tuesday? We are going to bring on a guest author, a Christian down in Louisville, a gospel preacher by the name of Eric Parker, has written a book called Behold the Builder. Um, you can find that on Amazon, Kindle edition, or hard copy. Behold the Builder is the name of it, and we're going to be interviewing him about his book, which is about evidences for belief in the God of Christians and the God of the universe. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. one of my favorite yeah, topics. Likewise. So yeah. you can see that in the Bible Quest uh, app or go to BibleQuest.tv or you can watch on my Facebook page. Lord willing, we'll do that next Tuesday at two o'clock. Excellent. And, and, and uh, Chase, I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. I'm going to be there with you tomorrow too. All right. Sounds good. Three o'clock on uh, Wednesday. Guys, thanks an awful lot. We invite you all back again next week. And have a great week. Take care.